Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about The Tiger at Midnight by Swati Tirdala. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. And our guest today is writer Natasha Dean. Hi, Natasha. Hello, Danielle and Amanda. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited. We're really excited to have you. Joining us from Canada. <laughs> and we don't have snow anymore. Woohoo! That's like oh. two weeks a year for Canada, right? Oh, right? So a lot of things I want to talk to you about. First of all, I did not say YA writer because you have written a lot of everything. <laughs> you go. I have written a lot of everything. So my degree is actually in psychology. And I don't know if you have had the same experience or your listeners have had the same experience. I got out of high school and I loved English. It was my best subject. I went into university. I was going to be an English major. I wanted to get my master's in English. And by my end of my first semester of university, I was so turned off of English. I just, I couldn't even go back to it because they had broken everything down to the point where there was just no more fun in stories and reading, which was saying a lot for me. Because honestly, like when I was a kid, I said to my mom one time that if she'd really wanted me to behave as a child, when I got grounded, instead of taking away my TV and, you know, access to the phone and going out with friends, if she'd taken away my books, I would have been much better behaved. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it took me a long time to get back into stories and to find that love of books again. And then when I decided I wanted to be a writer, I went at it kind of in a business way. And by that, what I mean is I started actually originally writing for adults and writing in romance. The reason I chose romance was because uh, you did not have to have an agent. You didn't have to have a lot of previous credits. And they were always looking for new voices. And then I just wanted to write in all the different genres I could find because I wanted to see if I could do it. And then when I got into kids writing, it was like, yes, here I am because this is where I want to be. And what I found is writing in the different genres really helps you because, you know, when you write in one genre, you get to know that genre really, really well. But when you write in a bunch of different genres or when you read a bunch of different genres, I think it just makes you a little bit more versatile or or flexible in the way you approach different kinds of stories. And problems so, in those stories, I can imagine. Yeah, I would like to think so. I guess that's for people who want to be writers, don't feel like you have to do one thing if that's not in you. Like this world is so big and there is room enough for all of our voices and room enough for us to experiment and try different things. And I would encourage people to do that wholeheartedly. Yeah, awesome. So I did want to say that we are recording this episode out of order, but follow me here. By the time <laughs> this episode airs, your new book, In the Key of Niragani, will be out and we will have chatted about it on the show. But we haven't chatted about it yet. So we're doing a little bit of time traveling. And so <laughs> I won't ask you how your book launch has been. <laughs> We'd just be like making it up, right? Like We can assume it was wonderful. <laughs> we know it will have been wonderful. Yes. But I have already read Niragani and I have a burning question. 
Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about tea. Does tea carry as much weight and meaning in your life and your family as it does in Nira's? Oh, yeah. And it's not just my family, too. It's like Guyanese people in general. Like you go to their homes and it's always like, do you want tea? Do you want tea? Do you want tea? And it's the same thing with food. Like if you go to a Guyanese house, it does not matter how full you are. You need to eat because they will offer you food. And it's very rude to not eat anything. And just like in the story where uh, Nero's grandma is like just feeding everybody. And it doesn't matter (laughs) if you're ready to pop. You're just going to. That's the culture. It's second dinner, but I'll make you a small plate. So people will come for like long visits. And so when we moved to Canada, my parents, like, they were kind of traumatized because what they realized was North American dinners are not the same. And they felt that there was this connection that once someone gave you dessert, you had to leave within like 20 or 30 minutes. And my mom was just like, she couldn't quite get over why it was that once dessert came, you had to leave people's homes. So when we would host, my mom would not give anybody dessert. Like at all. <laughs> That's so sweet. She didn't, she didn't want anyone to leave. Right? <laughs> so, so yes, you would get the tea. You would definitely get tea. But dessert, you know, she would like wait till the end point. Because, you know, in the very beginning, what would happen is she'd serve dessert and then she'd be sort of tidying up in the kitchen. And then she'd come out and everybody's going. <laughs> and um, my family, so my husband is German. And uh, the kids have married European people as well. And so there's this running joke with the whole family about, you know, if Natasha gives you dessert, you got to leave in 20 minutes because, you know. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, so like food and tea and family and love and conversations always go together. And whenever you had something big to discuss, it was over a cup of tea. And if there was a problem to solve, it was over a cup of tea. And like the amount of sugar and milk you got matched the intensity of the problem. It wasn't a really big problem. You got like a certain amount of like milk and sugar. But if it was kind of a bigger problem or if you seemed really upset, you know, it might be like two teaspoons with a little bit more or like keep it up. So, yeah, I mean, I think the level of sugar I can put in my tea is kind of uh, frightening to some people. But (laughs) them's the breaks about being a Guyanese kid, right? You can just handle your sugar like nobody I don't want to like give spoilers for Niragani, especially spoilers pertaining to tea, but I did want to say I thought your usage of tea in the novel was really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I totally, I had that in my head. The tea has a character arc too. <laughs> okay, I love it. And everybody should read Niragani and if you didn't listen to our episode on Niragani which doesn't exist yet but will by the time (laughs) this episode airs (laughs) you should go listen to that episode so moving on into Tiger at Midnight Esha the legendary assassin known as the Viper is on a mission take down the brutal General Hotha and strike at the heart of the Pretender King's rule. But when she arrives at the General's quarters, he's already dying, and someone has left a fake whip in place to frame Esha. But why? As the General's tenacious nephew, Kunal, pursues Esha, she must untangle the threads of conspiracy and corruption. And as her connection with the soldier deepens, Esha realizes both their lives are at stake. So, Natasha, you are the one that chose this book. 
What did you think? When I was given the chance to choose the book, I chose this one, first of all, because I love the title, The Tiger at Midnight. It's such an interesting title and it, it just makes you wonder what is going on and how the tiger figures in. And also, you know, we were talking before the recording started about if I have like another day job. And I said, no, but the truth is I kind of do because I have two cats and a dog. And so my real job is just wandering around and petting those tummies and giving them kisses and like just telling them they're perfect. So any kind of title that has an animal in it, I'm just like, cool. So um, I also love the cover. So, you know, you've got this woman that's like in glowing orange. And then, you know, the idea of it coming from um, like ancient Indian history and Hindu mythology and you've got like this warrior woman and it just seemed epic. And I was just, I was so in the mood for something epic and it really did not disappoint. It's a really fun ride. Uh, I'm curious, Amanda, what, what about you? How did you feel? I liked it. There's like you said, a lot of great things about it. Uh, the world building, I thought especially was really nice. Felt like the world was yeah. really lush and alive. Uh, I do think that this entire book is just one long treatise about how competition does not breed success because from the very beginning if they had just all worked together to catch the viper the book would have been like one chapter long <laughs> and then they caught the viper at the end all right so, so let's come back to that basically like as soon as the general is dead which happens on like you know page zero yeah somebody is like go catch the viper and the person who catches her will become the next commander of the fort and then they split up (laughs) (laughs) and don't share information one of the best things to do if you're hunting for someone (laughs) no kidding collaboration people collaboration right Mm -hmm. so we have kunal who's a soldier guy we'll talk more about him later sometimes they're just called soldiers (laughs) (laughs) unless you're epic and then you're the soldier guy is it an article the word the is the an article so if you're totally epic you get an article the soldier guy the soldier guy right is that hilarious professional writer i I don't know grammar (laughs) somebody save me it's optional (laughs) it's okay we'll look at you later for psychoanalysis of kunal in the spoiler section (laughs) kunal will be back to you uh, we have his friend, a lot who doesn't go on the chase and writes letters and tries to get along with everybody. And props to Alak because he is the first person who's like, you guys, maybe the Viper is a girl. <laughs> yeah. And Kunal's friend, Laksh, who goes, you know, the other direction because they can't work together on their hunt. And so he's like competing against his friend and he wants to be mm-hmm. commander and he has to chase Esha, and then the rest of the book is basically a slow burn chase scene, and yeah. chase is a metaphor, you know, blah, blah, blah. So much chasing. <laughs> <laughs> but I love Esha. I love Esha. She is calculating and clever and coy, and it really reminded me of the episode of Firefly, Our Mrs. Reynolds, because... Kunal would catch up with her and then she'd like escape you know surprise I escaped really because that's not what I thought of I thought of the Pontiac Bandit from Brooklyn oh that's so much better (laughs) oh no that's so oh I can't believe I missed that 
<laughs> they had such a beautiful relationship and yes. then she would escape again <laughs> oh yeah both those fit i liked the chase but i feel like it dragged on a little too long and i was like oh this is the part where she like almost gets close and then pushes him away again and it felt like we all know where this book is going like why is it taking so long to get there yeah I, I agree. It was like 100 pages too long for me and the first in a series. So we'll wrap back around to whether we think it was a complete novel. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of The Tiger at Midnight and dig a little deeper. Hey friends, are you looking for an easy way to support this podcast? Order our book choices through the affiliate link in our show notes. You'll be supporting our authors and making sure we get a small kickback to keep our show going. Next week, we'll discuss The Marrow Thieves by Cherie Demeline. It's a survival story set in a terrifying near future. Order this book through the link in our show notes and help us keep bringing you great content. Happy reading! Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week? It's radishes. (laughs) Okay, so I'm growing radishes. Radishes have like a 98% germination rate, which is so absurd. Like their will to live is so strong. And... (laughs) <laughs> I'm <laughs> my hero. As soon as you said her will to live, I was like, "Fry radish, <laughs> go radish, go!" <laughs> I know. So I'm like a cautious new gardener. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna start them indoors and make sure they get healthy and strong, and then I'm gonna harden them off, slowly acclimating them to the outside. Then I'm gonna put them into the ground, and I'm gonna like pray over them just a little <laughs> to see if they like just just hold on, radishes, hold on. <laughs> And today, after this, like, Oregonian tempestuous spring, I walk outside and all 16 radishes are like, we're here. Everything's good. Thanks for checking on us. (laughs) So, radishes. Great job, radishes. (laughs) How about you, Natasha? What's your brew of choice? Right now, my brew of choice, uh, can I say happy animal videos because of all the renos we're going through? Yes. <laughs> if you've got a specific one, even better. <laughs> uh, I don't even, I don't play favorites with animals. Just give them to me. Although there was one with an otter kind of dancing against a window that every time I think about it makes me super happy. And I've learned the dance. And every once in a while, I just do it for my husband. Right. And then I'm like, nice. I do the dance. Tea for dance. Dance for tea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And then he does. And I don't know if that's because I'm a great dancer or he just really pities me, but I will take it. Amanda, how about you? What's your brew of choice? So I just watched a new show on Netflix called Russian Doll. And it's basically the premise is sort of Groundhog Day-ish where a woman keeps waking up at the same moment at her 36th birthday party and trying to figure out what all that entails. It's really interestingly done. Um... Natasha Leon is so good in this show. Uh, I really enjoyed it. So if you like her or like looping Groundhog Day creepy kind of things that are also a little bit funny, I really recommend Russian Doll on Netflix. Sounds awesome. 
We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on The Tiger at Midnight. The rest of the show will contain spoilers. So if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back. Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on The Tiger at Midnight by Swati Tordala. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! And rebels. Similar to pirates. Without boats. No boats. But they have tigers. (laughs) They didn't have tigers, though. Like, the tiger was just a manifestation of her sins or something. Yeah, Uh, when you meet a tiger at midnight, it's like a you know, manifestation of your sins and... Yeah, yeah, but then they did run into the tiger, right? And I thought it was a full-on real tiger. Oh, there was a real tiger. Yeah, but I think that it was... I thought that the tiger was, like, a supernatural creature because she was saying, like, when the sun comes up, the tiger will be gone. So I thought it was... Oh, yes, she did say that. It's funny. I thought it started off as a real tiger and then when he was... or she was gone that Esha went into sort of the metaphorical meaning of the tiger and thinking about how she'd run into this real tiger. But the, you know, the saying is, you know, tiger, that if you run into a tiger at midnight, it's your sins. And then when the sun would rise, her metaphorical sin would be gone, even though it was a real tiger that had come into her life. Mm. May have complicated sure. that we way more. We need an English teacher to help us work through this. If this only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there was a tiger. <laughs> and the thing that... Y'all, Kunal just wanting to be a painter and not a soldier. Did he's you got like soul, it? but he's not a soldier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You didn't like it? I thought it totally made sense. <sighs> Did you find that less believable than Asha wanting to be an acrobat? <laughs> I I feel like you got some personal things to work out here. Like, what is your your reaction to this? I had no reaction to this whatsoever. Okay, so I just didn't understand how, oh, he just wanted to be a painter, and yet he's a soldier. Like, I guess, like, hashtag job security or whatever. But he was part of, like, an oppressive regime mm-hmm. when he just wanted to be a painter. And then wasn't he like drafted or something? Well, no, his well, uncle's his, the general. Yeah, and right. his parents had been killed when he was well, his mom because he didn't know who the dad was. So his mom gets killed when he's super young, and then the general takes him in. And then basically, I don't know. The sense I got was that Kanal is this incredibly sort of like loyal by the book. He's a Hufflepuff. You know. <laughs> he's solidly a Hufflepuff, and he feels like trapped. Like he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a way out. I think he's probably still in his obligated service because he was talking about the possibility of getting out in a little while. So I, I think that he, uh, you know, he didn't realize how, A, he didn't realize how oppressive his class was or whatever, which is not an excuse for being a part of it. But I got the impression that he did not have a lot of choice in the matter as far as being a soldier. Yeah. And he did come yeah. around on the being part of the oppressive class. He was confronting his role and wondering if he was just a cog in the system and if he could do anything to help these people, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I also wonder if part of it is not cultural as well, where 
to a certain level, like you have an obligation or a duty to the elders in front of you and they have kind of dominion over you in terms of what you can do uh, and how you can be. Like, so one of my grandmothers <laughs> had the worst time when I became an adult because I wouldn't just do what she wanted me to do. And, um, you know, and, and it would be like, you need to do this because this is right. And, uh, and she and I would get into these arguments because I was like, no. And she was like, why don't you just listen to me? I'm your elder. And I was like, yeah, but we're not in that system anymore. So if you're thinking that the tiger at midnight is coming from a kind of this historical, ancient, alternate world-ish kind of thing where you would be kind of obligated to what your elders are, are saying or doing. So I wonder if maybe that's part of it where he's not necessarily going to question his role. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I got the sense he felt really indebted to his uncle. Mm. And then, of course, later on, you find out that the uncle actually was protecting him on a level that he didn't even realize, that Kanal didn't realize. So then it just creates that extra conflict, perhaps. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess, like, beyond just this is your job, you do your job, there's the whole level of, like, familial duty, the cultural mm -hmm. obligation to the elders, um, and that, like, Kanal, you know, even if he were in a completely different place and time, he would still be a Hufflepuff and be loyal. <laughs> so one thing that we haven't talked a lot about yet, but is like very important for anybody who is considering this book, is that it is super romance heavy. Like, oh, yeah. it is yes. all about like this slow burn between Esha and Kunal and will their connection overcome their differences and it was just a lot of interiority and a lot of agonizing over the boy or the girl and a lot so of glances. Like, so many glances. Huge part <laughs> of the book. <laughs> Important to know. Yeah. I liked the slow burn, but like I said in the first half, it was about 100 pages too long for me. So a little too slow, but like <laughs> I liked the glances. I thought that the interaction between the two of them, the one where... uh they go through the roof. I can't remember what she does. I think she lets go of the rope and he goes crashing down. Then he wakes up and there's like a note. I hope <laughs> I'm not merging two scenes. But I liked where she was like, catch me if you can. I thought that was very cool. I like that scene. I can't believe I missed Pontiac Bandit. Like it's right there. It's right there. <laughs> Dub Judy! <laughs> Asha! No, I think one of the things that caught me with the book, and this is me because I am by nature, a very slow reader, and I mix up letters and all that kind of stuff. So in the beginning of the book, there is a lot of world building. So I actually had to pull out a piece of paper and write down all the names of the characters who were being introduced and what their connections mm. were. That helped me keep it all in line. I mean, it's high fantasy, so you're going to have a lot of characters, and you're going to have a lot of world building. So I think that's just good to know. Yeah, I think that it's both more accessible and also a little tedious because it kind of like rephrases the world building a lot of times. Like, remember, it's because of the union of these two bloodlines that the world was able to flourish and all the plants are dying and the world is drying up because of the loss of one of the bloodlines. And it says that like a lot of times. Yeah, because I think that we're trying to build to the reveal of Canal, right? So that when it happened, we weren't like, oh, wait, but yeah. But I mean, I think when you're trying to do something 
at an epic level that this book is, there's a lot, right? Like there's a lot of stuff. Um, and I just kind of marveled at how she was able to put together so many different characters and then thread it into this adventure, you know, catch me if you can, romance, high politics, high intrigue, all wrapped around this thing that's grounded in, you know, mythology. And I mean, I was really impressed with that. It didn't like bother me that she repeated that um, because I think that it was just like a reminder of the stakes for the future Mm -hmm. books. Um, So yeah, let's talk about that. So this is book one. How did book one feel to everybody? I mean, I'm normally the one who's very like, this has got to be a complete story on blah, blah, blah. I mean, for this one, I just feel like it was really obvious from very early in the book that this is one of a series. I don't Mm -hmm. think it really stands alone as a story unless you were just looking at it as like, this story is the love story between Esha and Kunal. And I think that like, since that's such a huge part of the book, that's kind of what it is. Like this complete story is the complete story of how boy meets girl and they decide to overcome all of their obstacles for their true love. Um, And I think that this did successfully complete that as far as like all of the setup between the kingdoms, like obviously none of that got anything near resolved. Right. But like if the plot of the book is Kunal versus the Viper and then they fall in love, I think it's definitely done. What about y'all? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. If you look at it as uh, kind of Kanal's self-awakening story and uh, Esha's not, I have to stand on my own because obviously she does, but like her acknowledging or realizing there can be other parts to her as opposed to just this assassin that just sort of does for the rebels. Uh, I think it works really well. It works. I think it works really great as like an origin story for their team like for them as a couple. But yeah, you're right. She doesn't resolve uh, the idea of what happens now to the land. So stay tuned. I, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> you kind of want to know what now? I mean, yeah, where did good. they go from there? I think there's a lot of good threads to be picked up in book two. Like clearly book two is going to be your princess is in another castle and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like trying to get her back. Well, you know, it'll be interesting, Danielle, with you saying that you felt it was 100 pages too long. It'll be interesting to see if now that they've built the world for you as a reader, if the next books have that tighter pacing, because now there's the assumption that you know what's going on and you know the stakes and you know who the Darkens are versus the Jances and and that whole bit so that you don't necessarily need it reminded so often. So I'll be curious to see what happens in book two with that. That's our show for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Yeah, us too. You can find Natasha on Instagram and Twitter and at natashadean.com. You can find us at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying this show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Happy reading.